0: The Long Haul Podcast, America's Irish Voice. Interviews with inspiring immigrants, renowned Irish personalities and discussions on all things Irish America. Presented by Michael Dorgan. Welcome along to this week's edition of the Long Haul Podcast. We're coming off a really disappointing weekend of sport in in Irish terms. Uh, Leinster's defeat in Dublin and of course... The uh, Katie Taylor fight in the Tree Arena. Gavin Casey from The42.ie is back to uh, give us a review on the night's events. Gavin, uh, big time boxing was back to Dublin. No doubt it was a great great experience, although the results didn't go our way. The last three results uh, on the night.
1: Yeah, that's it, Mike. I actually forgot this goes out in video as well, doesn't it? And you can probably see how disheveled I am for the weekend. <laughs> and last week, no gel in the hair, wearing a tracksuit top. You're looking at not in a dressing gown, to be honest. Still sort of... <laughs> Recovering from the workload. And as you mentioned, Leinster lost as well. There's Munster in a URC final now this Saturday. So I'm sort of pivoting back to rugby for the week. But as you say, with the event itself, electrifying atmosphere, it was pretty cool to see 8,000 fans in their seats, even three fights out from the main event. Dennis Hogan, who was back from Brisbane fighting in Ireland for the first time in uh, 12 years, I think, since he fought Ken Egan in the senior semi finals in t- 2010. Uh, 13 years is it jeez um, like for him to have that moment in front of all of those fans chanting his name and um, for say somebody like Thomas Carty the Dublin heavyweight to have I'd say easily four and a half five thousand dubs in there cheering on his knockout win he's at a very formative stage of his pro career um, Gary Coley, unfortunately lost in the chief support bout big upset knockout defeat there or stoppage defeat but even for that for a chief support bout involving a guy from Kildare who wouldn't be a mainstream name in Irish sport by any stretch of the imagination. He was previously managed by NTK Global, which sort of prohibited boxers from really gaining traction in the Republic of Ireland, at least because they couldn't fight here. There was a very bad relationship with the media, mainstream media anyway. Uh, But it felt like a main event type of an atmosphere for his fight. Just absolutely spine-tingling noise. And then the actual main event ramped it up tenfold again, where you didn't feel as though it could get any louder, and it did. And... It was a worthy reception of one of the greatest Irish athletes of all time. Her first time fighting professionally in this country. Sin, well, the first time ever professionally and the first time at all since 2016. And again, fight, result, doesn't go our way. And it was like somebody popped a balloon as the verdict was yeah. out and Chantel Cameron's arm was lifted. But a brilliant fight. You know, I have a tough time watching backfights where Irish fighters lose, I think. When you're there covering them live, you know yourself, it's almost like the emotion is removed because it's quite a, I won't go as far as to say it's a difficult thing now, let's not pick ourselves up too much, but quite a maniacal, kind of a panicky sort of a thing. You're looking up, looking down, and you don't have a chance to really feel feelings, I suppose. It's just work, but the emotion does sort of seep in when you watch it back in the cold light of day, so I haven't watched uh, the Taylor Cameron fight back, but I agreed with the scores on the night and it was a tremendous fight i'd imagine if you were a neutral as i suppose you are when you're covering it um i mean my impression was that it was just a belting fight in fairness and one that cameron deserved to win
0: it just uh, in terms of the atmosphere gav um, for our new york followers well how would you compare it to the the garden last year
1: it's a funny one and i was trying to make sense of that in my own head as i was sitting there i guess the three arena if anybody has been in new york for years and hadn't been in the point say as it used to be in dublin or the three arena as it is now like it's quite a cavernous sort of a venue compared to the big room at msg where like obviously the big room there is at the very least the length of a basketball court or a hockey field rink um and you have like four stands um and in the three arena, it's almost an amphitheater sort of a setup so it's just like one stand screaming down on the ring and the press press seats are are on the other side of that then and you have obviously ringside seats as well but like it was ear splitting because i think it's so small so like there's nowhere for the noise to actually escape but at the same time i found it hard to compare it to the atmosphere at msg because msg just being bigger having the puerto ricans there as well and that little bit of like i don't know cross-pollination or something between two very proud fighting countries and trying to one-up each other with the songs and the noise that probably felt like a more organic atmosphere in new york whereas in the three arena because it's 8000 patties it's like you know pumping maniac 2000 and and dance tunes that i never want to hear again and to be fair generating the sort of response that you're looking for in that everybody was off their feckin' heads <laughs> and the noise was still electrifying. Like, different, um both great but different, and uh you know, if I was to pick a favorite event of the two like, it'll be music to the New Yorker's ears that MSG was incomparable to me I uh, that felt like a sort of a once-in-a-lifetime event that I was at whereas the Dublin one felt like a really cool event to be at, but just not yeah. quite as Maybe we're spoiled as well, having witnessed something like that at MSG beforehand, right?
0: In terms of the fight itself, uh, itself, Gav, uh, I suppose there's been few complaints that everyone kind of was unanimous in thinking that. Katie was our cameron just Pip Katie in the end what are your thoughts briefly on the on how the fight the fight went
1: I was surprised by the extent to which Taylor was a little bit flat looking or or maybe even seeking to conserve her energy early in the fight it, that may have been a, a tactic we don't know because Taylor didn't speak to the press afterwards such was the heartbreak of her defeat but uh, I really felt as though if she was going to win this fight she was going to have to build an early lead get on her toes um get on a bike really and uh, frustrate Cameron into creating openings and try to build a little bit of psychological pressure where uh, when you have 8,000 people behind you cheering your every move even if a shot misses they're going to cheer it it sort of will create a sense in your opponent that things are going against them and that they're sort of up against it, right? Like, And that would have been the first time Cameron would have experienced that in a professional career. But instead, in the first round, Cameron was able to close the ring off quite readily, Mm. um, land at will. Taylor's defense looked as bad as it's really ever been. And that's just the result, I think, of her legs, I think we mentioned in the preview, Mike, being thirty, almost 37 years Mm. old in their own right and having moved her around so capably for 25 of those years, really. Like... Bear in mind as well, and I've never really considered this a factor until this very moment, but she also had a football career. like She played international football for the Republic Ireland. of Ireland, so it stands to reason that her legs aren't quite as nimble as they used to be. And as much as it sounds weird, legs are almost important, in, as important in boxing as your hands. And it, it just felt as though Taylor's mobility was um, inhibited. You noticed like, she was standing up between rounds. And again, I can't say this for certain, but I would propose that that was to prevent her calf muscles from getting a little bit stiffer sitting up standing down nine odd mm. times in a fight um and yeah like we said last week mike that this was a assumed to be 37 year old woman seven mm. year old woman who has been doing this for a long time against a fresher bigger woman and that's exactly what the fight looked like so it took on the image that i'd probably foreseen a little bit and um and and with all of that being said, Taylor still showed glimpses of her old class, and she's never going to lose that defiance. I think that sort of alien um, force of will that she has in her gut that she can summon in moments of trouble will always be there. But she probably no longer has the athleticism to marry with that. And uh, you know the results: ninety six, ninety four by two, and uh, ninety five, ninety five. I think ninety six, ninety four was about right, but definitely not ninety five, ninety five. And there was no boos at the result, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little bit of animosity towards Cameron. But nobody I spoke to afterwards felt as though it was unfair. And Taylor took it really well. She was magnanimous, wasn't she? Like, If you yeah. could cross that mic to the reaction when she got eliminated at the 2016 Olympics, for example, and she was in floods of tears. And I know there's a caveat there in that. Her father wasn't in her corner and I think you know that's a familial thing which is sort of her own business but equally she'd lost a trainer that had given a great deal to her and probably felt out of her comfort zone in that way. For example at that time she didn't even look as well conditioned as she previously had but this time around she just got on with it. Fair play to Chantel. I fell a little bit short. That suggested to me that As she's coming towards the end of her career, she probably anticipated that a night like this would happen eventually. She probably didn't think it was going to be this Saturday, but she seemed to internalize it pretty quickly. And yes, she didn't speak to the press afterwards, but I always think boxers shouldn't be obliged to do press conferences after getting their brains rattled around their skull for 10 or 12 rounds anyway.
0: Yeah, I think she, um, as you said, like I think she accepted that she was beaten by the better woman on the night, and maybe going back to the Olympics, as you said, there was kind of outside factors that she didn't wasn't. 100% at at those games, whereas Saturday night she accepted she was beaten by the the better woman. Were you surprised how Cameron kind of bossed her around the ring and Katie was on the outside on the ropes of that? Were you surprised by that or did you expect that because she was the bigger woman?
1: Yeah, no, I totally expected it, to be honest. I suppose what surprised me was just Taylor's inability to get out of those situations she was always going to get trapped on the ropes a few times and Cameron was always going to have moments in which she'd be able to corner Taylor and and cut off that ring as I said earlier but I I was surprised by the inadequacy with which Taylor tried to maneuver herself out of those situations and again I just don't know if if the legs could get her out of there and sometimes it's as straightforward as that I was saying somewhere there during the week it's kind of Vockham's razor like which is the most obvious solution or conclusion is the one right in front of your nose. And we probably there's probably no need to overthink this fight. It's just, as I say, a a smaller, older woman losing to a fresher, bigger woman.
0: Do you think a 32-year-old KD beats a 32-year-old Cameron even at 140? Um, Yeah, I think so. I think so. I
1: I still think it would be a very tough fight at 140. I think a 32-year-old... I mean, at that time, actually, Cameron was probably at one thirty five, so if they'd fought at one thirty five, I think Taylor would have had her way with her. I think as recently as probably two or three years ago, if they were f- Yeah, geez even at one forty I think Taylor wins the fight maybe seven, three, six, four, you know. Um I've always felt that way. People out there have have always suggested, by the way, or or a lot of people have suggested, that Cameron was the kryptonite and that someday she was going to catch Taylor on the hop. And I actually disagreed with them and I still disagree with them. I think Taylor is and well, Taylor was a superior boxer uh, for a long time and just no longer is in an overall sense.
0: Now, where does this leave us? Uh, there's a rematch clause, obviously, straight away. She Katie was saying afterwards that she was going to activate it. Eddie Hearn was saying the same thing. Um, and uh, you were writing on the Ie that there could be uh, it could be almost doubles or quits now that Cameron might come down to 135 and challenge Katie for her belts and Katie could in fact walk away with nothing after these two, two fights uh, tell us what you think is going to happen over the coming months and what's Katie's next move
1: I think there will be a rematch and that will certainly be at the forefront of Taylor's mind to begin with I don't think that she will want to do anything else other than avenge that defeat then it comes down to, okay, where does the rematch take place? I would say that happens in Dublin, again, because Taylor has just proved that she can easily sell out an 8,000-seat indoor arena. It cost Mattram a lot of money to stage the fight there, but it also made them a lot of money at the gate, over €2 million. Euro. The, price, the ticket prices were extortionate, and, and I actually think disgraceful, ultimately. But they know at least that they can make their money back there, even if they're paying more on security and insurance and various things like that. Cameron doesn't have a fan base really to anywhere near the size of Taylor's. I mean, it would be fractional. I don't know that, of course, she's probably fondly thought of in Northampton, her hometown, but she's not an especially um, well-followed woman, even if people in England know her. So it's just that you're rolling the dice if you try and throw them in an indoor arena in England. Chances are, I would say that if you did it in England, there'd be more Taylor fans there than Cameron's. Um, But I think with the fact that Eddie Hearn seemed to enjoy his week in Dublin with the fact that he got to schmooze with one of the few people in combat sports who's more famous than he is, Conor McGregor, and that McGregor actually sponsored the event as well. There are a lot of factors that I think bring it back here. And then thirdly, you have to decide which weight the fight takes place. And as you say, they could go double or quits, which would be, you know, the highest Jeopardy version of this rematch. And one in which, as you quite rightly outline. Uh, Taylor could leave with nothing and I have to say flip that a little bit and if you're Chantel Cameron and if you come down to 135 which is quite a significant weight cut from where you're naturally at and if you do relieve Taylor of her belts that's a pretty badass move like I don't think Cameron is the most likable boxer in the world maybe she's just shy or just doesn't like speaking in general I, I, there's some quality to her that I can't really put my finger around that I think doesn't necessarily endear her to people but in a strictly boxing sense if she came down and did that You couldn't begrudge her the number one pound for pound ranking and and her kind of a level of greatness of of her own. So um, that will probably appeal to her, the idea of taking everything from Taylor, given the fact that she had to wait for so long before getting that first opportunity. But equally, think of that from Taylor's perspective and the idea that Cameron thinks she can do that. And as much as... um, I would prefer personally for Taylor to just walk away from the sport and, and I would have preferred for that to happen even before this fight that is a pretty salivating narrative going into a rematch isn't it the idea that everything is up for grabs on Taylor's end yeah and, uh, and that her career is actually on the line because that's the way it would be
0: yeah it would be yeah it's Oh, it would be quite quite exciting to see it happen. Um I was reading uh, Gary Spike O'Sullivan, our fellow Corkman, and there was a few others said that maybe it was a, that it was an ill conceived, it was the bad move for Taylor to move up to one hundred forty on Saturday, and that Eddie Hearn, and Brian Peters should have known better. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, I understand where Spike is coming from, and I've heard and seen other people share that sentiment as well. I probably disagree with it, but it is totally subjective because the way I would see it and, and from what I know of Katie Taylor, she would have wanted her homecoming to be the biggest possible fight it could be. She wouldn't have been satisfied with boxing some no mark and winning a an 8-2 decision or 9-1 yeah. or a shutout. I think she understood the extent to which this was going to be a landmark occasion in her career and she wanted to mark it in a fitting way uh, or, or a way that would be commensurate to the event and, and that sense of homecoming and I think it's a bit unfair to, to blame Hearn in it because I know for a fact he was as surprised as anybody when Taylor actually called out Cameron at 140 like this was Taylor's idea okay she conceived of it with Brian Peters her management team but it, it, you know she, my understanding of it was that she sort of led the way on this the argument then is like oh should Hearn have said no katie don't do that stay at 135 mm-hmm. well maybe if he was her uncle or something but he's her promoter who's there to make money he's made her a lot of money as well by the way and from his point of view of course that was a really enticing idea so um if you're expecting like total morality from a boxing promoter, you're yeah. probably following the wrong sport. Spike will know that as well And <laughs> himself. He's come across enough dodgy characters. And I, I, my my personal view on it is this, Mike. If, if you've gotten to where Katie Taylor has in life and done all she has in boxing, I don't think there's anything wrong with challenging yourself and finding out that it was one challenge too many or it was a, a little bit too far of a challenge because... Ultimately, it is only a loss. Like, she hasn't gotten to where she is by taking the easy route ever, really. And I also would say she probably wouldn't even, she would literally, but like, uh, in a virtual sense, probably wouldn't get out of bed for anything less than that at this point. She knows she's coming towards the end. She only wants the biggest possible fights that will actually extend her legacy And fighting some mandatory defense or voluntary defense in Dublin would do nothing for her legacy at all, really. There's a wider conversation about what that would have contributed to Irish boxing because if she had fought somebody and won easily and if the undercard had gone well, maybe you sort of create a scene there. But I would say on the flip side of that, Kayleigh Taylor owes nothing to Irish boxing and she is within her rights to look after herself first and foremost, take the biggest, biggest possible fights if that's what she wants to do.
0: Yeah, there was always nowhere for her to go at lightweight, like you you could argue. And we spoke last week on the podcast about her legacy and how she's pushing that envelope always. And she wants the biggest fights. She's always said it. And that was just an example last week. Maybe she might be able to redeem herself the next time against Cameron. But wh- and where does that leave us? You had mentioned last week, yeah, that uh, Vegas could have been a, a, an opportunity, a possibility. Is all that out the window now? Are we looking at going to be either the UK and Ireland? It's and where does the Serrano kind of uh, rematch uh, mix into all this? Is that going to be next year at, at best if it does even happen?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think all of that is on the back burner now, and you know, you'd know, you have to say, Mike, it may never happen in the sense that I would say the likelihood is that Taylor would lose a rematch as well, just with an extra bit of passing of time. The fact that she's just been in another war, that's not going to improve her as a fighter, right? Now, there, I'm sure there are tactical adjustments that she'll feel she can make with her trainer, Ross Inamai, and there are probably um, elements of their approach to the fight that they may feel they got a little bit wrong, but... Even if she won a rematch with Cameron, which again it is conceivable, particularly if it was down at hundred and thirty-five, then you've have a trilogy fight, right? Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's then the biggest fight in women's boxing, and it sort of it just works out that way. Now, could you argue that maybe you first go after somebody like Serrano? It's it's a possibility, but it would definitely be next year. I'd say a Serrano fight. I don't know actually you know i couldn't I couldn't answer sort of concretely as to what happens after a rematch because there are so many variables, like say if you wind up fighting Cameron in England and you win, do you then try to bring Serrano to Dublin, for example, but if you wind up fighting Cameron in Dublin in the rematch and you win, then you probably go to America to fight Serrano. You know what i mean there there are just a lot of variables um and permutations, but it'll only. I mean, Taylor herself will only be looking at the very next one, which is <laughs> um, a chance to avenge the first defeat she suffered in seven years
0: yeah definitely definitely want to follow we'll, all be, we'll definitely be following it here Gav um, you also just mentioned there um, on the 42.ie that like big time boxing was back in Dublin and I felt that everything was kind of back on, on the way up but you also said there was a sense that it could have been the beginning of the end will you go through uh, what you meant by that in terms of uh, the big time boxing coming back to Dublin
1: yeah I suppose like what the, I If I'm thinking of the right paragraph, there, like I meant it. There was a sense last week that it could be the start of something for Irish boxing, in the sense that if you had, say, a big win for Gary Coley in the co-main event or excuse me, the chief support, like there's a slight distinction there, but the second last fight basically, that maybe he comes back and eventually fights for a world title at the three arena at some point next year, like that he gets to expose, or he gains that exposure in front of an Irish audience and then gets gets the opportunity to fly the flag and almost build a scene under him in Dublin. And like with the fact that both, well, mainly with the fact that he lost, to be totally honest, it sort of reduces the reasons for which Hearn would actually come back to Dublin like there's nobody else he has on his books that would make for a headliner in Dublin at the moment outside of Katie Taylor and if you actually expand it a little bit there there probably aren't too many in the professional ranks currently from Ireland like there are plenty of lads in Belfast for example but I don't know that it's a necessarily a dream of theirs or a mission of theirs to headline at the three arena right and equally, like, they may not quite have the fan base uh, throughout the rest of the country to fill it out. So I'd say maybe there's not quite the depth of talent at the moment that you could say conclusively that it would be worth building a scene in the three arena again the way Bernard Dunn did in the 2000s with Brian Peters at the helm back then. Um, so th- by the end of something, I kind of mostly meant the end of, of Katie Taylor and, and not conclusively, but certainly sliding in that direction, right? and it may be the end of the idea that we will have big-time boxing back here for the medium term, because there are loads of fighters, you know of them, Callum Walsh on the West Coast over there, Paddy Donovan on the undercard, trained by Andy Lee with a nice reception, and he's building pretty nicely if he can gain a little bit more activity. He just signed with matchroom, he's left top rank, so he'll be built a little bit more on this side of the Atlantic, which I think is positive, but like, he's not anywhere near ready to headline at the three arena right he's probably two two and a half years out from that so i just mean over the next two or three years we're, we probably have to wait again for somebody to emerge as a bit of a flag bearer or um a poster boy or poster girl for the sport in this country and i really mean south of the border and i let's not get into a fucking political discussion like i i just mean like a dub or somebody from cork or somebody like that who could definitely headline in dublin versus like some of the brilliant fighters in Belfast who are good enough to headline a show, but again, may not um, may not really want to or seek out Dublin as an option.
0: Uh, where um, I, I saw Jason Quigley was putting his name forward there on social media as the biggest Irish draw, where do you think the likes of him and Michael Conlon fit into the, the ranks of uh, Irish boxers and our best, our best boxers at the moment?
1: Quigley could do it if he beats uh, Edgar Belanga in his next fight, which is over in MSG. And I don't think it's inconceivable actually that he beats Belanga. He's been brought in effectively to lose. Like, Matt, we're looking at Bill Belanga, and because I guess Quigley's last major fight was his world title defeat to Demetrius and- Andrade. I always say Andrade, but I guess the Yanks tend to bastardize pronunciation sometimes, so he's <laughs> Andrade, always has been. Um, you know, he's probably been... He's probably getting brought in as a bit of a soft touch, and I don't see him being that at all, actually. Um and if he was to win that, he's probably in a world title picture. And, like, Quigley has the profile in Ireland, I think, through brilliant interviews, his contributions on radio stations, on the 42 and various places over the years where, yeah, he could do it. But, like, again, he's he's 31 now or maybe 32, Jason. I think he's a year on me. And if he fights in the three arena even once, like... I think it would be just once. You know, I'm talking about somebody who could do it with regularity the way Dunn did. That's how you create a scene. You know what I mean? Because you need to give uh, the undercard fighters exposure to that audience with regularity, not just one offs. And with Michael Conlon, like, listen, he's headlining in Belfast literally this weekend in a world title fight, massive fight for him. And. Uh, You know, his father's from Dublin. He's certainly a big enough name all over the country, I think, where people would flock to the three arena for a a big fight involving him. I'd say the complications, again, with the former association with MTK, who managed him for a while, and the headlines that it would lead to might dissuade him from ever pursuing that avenue. And, it, and as well like when you can headline in Belfast your actual hometown why would you bother going to Dublin yeah, you know? yeah. your dad's from there in Conlon's case but like it's not really a good enough reason when you can pack out the exact same sized arena on your doorstep you know what I mean so um, yeah does those are get- two guys brilliant fighters they have fan bases you know great um, personalities a lot of charisma etc but again it's like can somebody do it every three or four months and at the moment the answer is no
0: yeah. does Conlon get the job done this weekend
1: uh, I have actually no clue I, I think it's the bookie see it as a 50-50 fight and I do too I, I personally is it good enough to do it absolutely he'll have the fans behind him um, the only thing is his opponent uh, Alberto Lopez seems absolutely impervious to being the away fighter a little bit like Cameron on Saturday yeah. I don't think the atmosphere will do anything to Um, what's the word I'm looking for intimidate him and uh and he's brilliant. So it's just a cracker of a fight. I'd back, back Conlon because I think um, I think he has the superior boxing ability just about. And I think he'll have learned lessons from that Lee Wood fight where um, in terms of even of his conditioning and trying to conserve a tiny bit of energy for the final stretch. So yeah, I think he may just get it done.
0: Just mentioning Cameron there, Gav, before you go, she was, like, we all focus on Katie, but she was a class act. She uh, she took it all in her stride last week. She didn't say too much in the leading up to it. Like, you know, she was the... The away player, uh, if you like, coming in kept her head down, and uh, Katie must have been standing on that stage for maybe ten minutes when she came out, and Cameron just got the job done. Like she was, she was beaten up, but it was a close fight. Like, um, although it was comprehensive the decision, uh, there was a lot of damage onto her face. But uh, Cameron, you have to give kudos to her. She came there, she, she had a job to do, and she did it.
1: Yeah, she came to conquer, didn't she? And um, it probably leaves a bit of a sour taste that. I don't know like just you know an ex-MTK English fighter coming over and being the one to inflict the first professional defeat on Taylor would probably never quite sit well with me but uh, you know shit happens Mike I suppose like you're dead right to point out though her, her composure like she talked about cool heads in a hot kitchen and that's what she was and I would say like just a final point on her is that she hasn't always been that way like I spoke to people who knew her as an amateur where she didn't quite make the 2016 Olympics and it was the World Championships that year where the final qualifier. I think she got knocked out in the quarterfinals, if I'm not mistaken, but to a Kazakh possibly. But um, people were saying to me like, yeah, she imploded, like the pressure got to her. And you'd have to credit oh, her trainers, same. Jamie Moore and Nigel Travis and the people involved in her team because they made such a concerted effort to reassure her all week. And I actually thought it was a sign of mental fragility the fact that they had to do that and to be honest I think it is a sign of that but I think in doing that they actually imbued her mentally like and I think they have now quite a mentally strong uh, athlete on their hands and I would say a lot of that is through their own creation look they are two trainers who like they it's the same with every boxing trainer in the world like you know we say like styles make fights and sometimes uh, personalities like will just blend between fighter and trainer and a trainer will get something out of a a boxer that maybe even a superior trainer hadn't been able to you know what i mean because i would say shane mcguigan who used to train cameron is probably is definitely a better technical trainer than jamie moore in my opinion but you know cameron and and shane mcguigan had a a, quite a high profile falling out and i know like in the mcguigan's gym or wherever train is involved excuse me wherever shane is involved with a fighter it's like you know almost army levels of intensity it's it's heavy sparring it's no bs um and it's quite like um it's very technical and, and scientific but it's work you know what i mean whereas in jamie moore's gym it's a lot more jovial it's a lot more about being pals and that just seems to work for cameron and she probably has found two guys in whom she can trust where she didn't feel as though she had that relationship with uh, Shane McGuigan so credit to the trainers credit to Cameron they came into Dublin they got the job done and they disappointed all of the rest of us
0: (laughs) I I pulled up on the side of the road somewhere between Arizona and New Mexico to watch the fight Laura, we were watching you but I I, I, um, can't to spend forever up on the stage I know you're supposed to soak in the atmosphere it's your homecoming it uh, kind of struck me that she might have been up there too long uh, I don't know if you uh, take your eye off the ball because that first round she went down the first round possibly uh, Would any thoughts on that Gav? Just something I don't that, think
1: I, yeah. I don't think it was the case honestly yeah. because she, how long was the ring walk at MSG? It did take an age as well yeah, didn't it? Yeah, yeah and it, like, I, I, I think because as I think we outlined last week she's fought in an Olympic final in front of a venue full of irish fans that have that at that time had been expecting her to win olympic gold since it became an olympic sport three years earlier there was never anything other than outright expectation that she was going to do that and that was an enormous pressure for her to take into the ring as somebody in her mid-20s at the time i guess um she fought at msg the ring walk was even more bombastic and more dramatic i felt i don't know about durations but Uh, She walked pretty slowly to that ring in MSG, right? You remember she was sort of turning around and taking it all in. I think she was just doing the same thing again. And I genuinely don't think there was any part of the occasion that got to Taylor. I think, again, Father Time may have just got her. And um, as they say in boxing, time is undefeated
0: yeah true Gav thanks very much if anyone wants to read back on Gavin's analysis it's on the42.ie and you'll also have rugby coverage this weekend uh, hoping that Munster get the job done this weekend Gavin thanks very much for joining us and uh, hopefully we'll have you back in the future see you soon kid enjoy the rest of the halls
1: Oh you knew your girls can you dance tomorrow
0: good. And that's all for this week. Let us know what you think by leaving us a comment on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter at the Longhaul Podcast, or visit our website thelonghaulpodcast.com. We'd appreciate it if you could rate and subscribe to the podcast. This would ensure that we can get even more episodes to you more often. Slongofall and thanks for listening.
1: And when we got inside the house, the drinks were passed around. The liquor was so awful strong, my head went round and round. To me, away, you Santy, my dear Annie. Oh, you New York girls, can you dance the polka? To me, away, you Santy, my dear Annie. Oh, you New York girls, can you dance the polka?